Today, every answer matters more than ever before. Because whether it's about health, deliveries, or finance, some things just can't wait. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage millions of calls, texts, and chats with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to help your customers find the answers they need faster, no matter the industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash watsonassistant to learn more. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, and put days like today in context. Call me, 1-800-743-CNBC. Tweet me, at Jim Kramer. All right, we got a nasty sell-off today, all right? The Dow lost 268 points. S&P declined 0.86%, probably most important. NASDAQ fell 1.12%. Yep, the worst hit especially the cloud plays that were roaring higher not that long ago. They were crushed. And the worst part, I don't think that the selling is over. Sell, 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 sell. Yep, anything that helps enterprises harness the power of the cloud had been on fire coming into today's session, along with anything related to streaming content. And that's because of the wildly successful Disney Plus, that new over-the-top service. They've been the big winners for several weeks, uh, ever since NVIDIA and Splunk reported great quarters. Now, though, the whole complex is selling off relentlessly, including the stock of NVIDIA itself. What's driving this newfound weakness, and how long will it last? Isn't that what you want to know? Well, I'm going to walk you through all the reasons so you know what's ahead. First, it's the beginning of a new month, all right? And you know what? In almost every new month, we, especially after a very big run, we get a period where large funds decide to take something off the table. It's not a dumb idea. Given that no one was expecting this kind of selling, witness the clueless pajama traders as of last night and this morning who were still buying. You have to be wary. You know, it's hard to find the other side of the trade when you're selling. There's so many ETFs. Uh, that contain these cloud names that it's possible for one or two of them to bring down the whole group. It's ridiculous. It is the tail wagging the dog. But it happens. We've seen it regularly since the software as a service meltdown in April of 2014. Now, you have to be careful because these kinds of moves can be brutal. And more important, they can be longer lasting than the typical dip. You dip buyers focus. In 2014, the whole group got hammered, led by Salesforce, which plunged from $67 to $48. Given that Salesforce reports tomorrow, I recommend proceeding with caution. You know I love this company. In order to know that, I like it when a stock pulls back going into earnings. My first instinct is to say the bar's now gotten lowered. It's been de-risked. But now I worry that it may be rolling over uh, along with the whole cloud cohort, regardless of how well it's doing. And that worries me, even though, again, I'm a big fan of Salesforce. And it is a key position for my charitable trust for a long time. And you can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club, where I'm going to overwhelm you with bulletins. Uh, just about this situation. Look, the stock of Salesforce has experienced four major declines since 2014. Four. Do you know not one of them ended in a day? They were all multi-day or even multi-week shellackings, including the one we saw earlier this year. 
If you're nimble enough to be a trader, then I actually would lighten up here and then buy it back at a lower level. But for most people, that's a bad piece of advice. I think you should stick with it through, stick with it through the pain because you never know if you'll be fast enough to actually get back in a better price. Now, the story here is still fantastic. Take a look at print, print out the story from 2008 to here, and you'll see. You won't even be able to see declines like the one I'm talking about. We just checked in with Salesforce at the big Dreamforce conference two weeks ago, and they, they told an incredible story, but that won't protect the short-term uh, turbulence. Again, it may not. I'm just concerned. I'm concerned because this cloud sell-off looks like the real deal. Remember, it's not the ETF-driven selling. Not that it's so heavy. It's that the buying is so thin. Think of ETF selling as being like a machine gun. While single stock buying is more like a bolt action rifle. The guy with the rifle simply doesn't stand a chance until the machine guns run out of ammo. Typically, that takes two or three days for the stocks to get low enough that the selling dries up. And it could be like that. There'll be some stocks that will hit a bottom three days from now. But I'm just I'm just concerned for you. Second negative catalyst. Did you see the stock of Roku today? Now, here's a company that's become the face of cord cutting. Roku's technology lets you stream video over the Internet directly to your television. They make it easy to watch something like that Disney Plus I mentioned on big screen. It's the best way to get your baby Yoda fix. Now, Roku's been downgraded many times before in the last three months. But you know where the stock was always able to bounce back, even intraday, until today, when Morgan Stanley downgraded to a sell heresy. They called the recent rally unsustainable, and that call resonated, which is why that stock plummeted 15% today. When a stock that's withstood endless assaults gets pulverized by a sell recommendation, well, that's a sign of what I call overextension. Some traders believe Roku's the key to this market, believe it or not, meaning they take their cue from the action in this one, and it actually was the proximate cause of today's vicious decline. Third negative catalyst, oh boy, I know you're sick of it, but it's China. Typically, the cloud and streaming stocks don't uh, really react to news about the trade war, but today was an exception. Going into the weekend, there was a widespread belief that we would have a phase one trade deal with the Chinese lockdown, a deal that might have opened up their markets to some of our software companies. When the Chinese government said that there need to be some rollbacks of the tariffs, though, before we can have serious talks, well, this was taken as a sign that, frankly, they don't care about it anymore. That's right. They don't care about making a deal. Is that true? My understanding is that until President Trump signed this Hong Kong bill, which imposes sanctions on Chinese officials who are responsible for human rights abuses, we basically had a workable deal to stave off the upcoming December trade hikes. Then the Hong Kong bill threw everything out of whack. You might think this has nothing to do with the trade war, but the Chinese view it as an escalation. Now they want the tariffs rolled back, and I think that's very unlikely. Not when the president's actually increasing steel tariffs on Argentina and Brazil, ostensibly because of currency weakness, but really, I think, to prevent them from buying cheap subsidized steel from China and then dumping it here, which is why that was so significant. And that's why the market went down after starting to head up. My guess, the Chinese would rather take their chances and wait for the election next year. If they, uh, well, in hope that they get a more amenable president like uh, Joe Biden, who's more of a globalist than Trump, I think they're making a mistake. They could just as easily get four more years of Trump or someone even tougher on China like Warren, Elizabeth Warren, because she's had it with the Chinese despoiling the earth. And and no tariff gets rid of that. Once China's in play, we have the usual tech suspects selling. NVIDIA, we, need, we know it needs to close on the Mellanox acquisition to raise numbers. Chinese are blocking it so far. Apple needs the tra- trade talks to go smoothly so they don't get caught in the crossfire. 
doesn't really matter about all that with the AirPods. Well, how about that story? The financial technology companies, well, they're all hoping they're going to get a crack at the Chinese market. Of course, China hurt more than just tech. This was a market-wide problem. Boeing seemed to trade in lockstep with the trade talks. And as we get closer to the end of the year, I'm starting to wonder if there'll be plenty of people who are thinking, wait a second, how the heck can this company make good on all the payments the airlines are asking for as reparations for the 737 MAX fiasco? Remember, we had, I had Southwest Air on a squawk on the street. They said they owe money. We had American owe money. The stock got hit hard today. I think the Boeing stock may actually be in a rollover phase. My advice. These squalls of selling take multiple days to work through the system. You almost never just get one day. I think the people who are simply taking profits to lock in their gains have too many winners to finish trimming the positions in just one session. The pattern of Salesforce and the other cloud kings is to get hit for at least three days, if not longer. I'm betting President Trump's tariff hikes go into effect on December 15th now, which won't be good for the stock market. At the end of the day, we got too complacent. Once we made it through the always tough month of, December, of October, investors sometimes get a little giddy, assuming they have nothing left to worry about. The Fed's on the right track. We seem to be on the cusp of a trade deal. We had good quarters from Splunk and NVIDIA. That allowed the entire cloud cohort to go higher. And it was too good to be true, people. We needed and need a shakeout. We needed some sellers to instill a reasonable amount of fear and worry. I think we're on our way there. Bottom line. We got hammered today, okay? And it was much more of a hammering than even the averages look like because there's not enough negativity. Once people start worrying again, stocks will come down to more reasonable levels, and then you can pounce. Bye, bye, bye! But we're not there yet. And I don't think you should jump the gun. Richard in New York. Richard! Richard! Hey, Jim, how you doing? I'm good, Richard. How about you? Good. Uh, my question today is Warren Buffett maintains a significant capital stake in Occidental in spite of its debt-laden balance sheet. Buffett received very favorable terms for this capital infusion. While it's a good business deal for Buffett, can this stake change the downward trend of the stock, or well, is the debt exposure just too great? Well, I think he get you know he has first uh, dibs. Uh, I think they paid too much, Oxy, but... I do think that the, the company's got the cash flow. I just don't like the stock. And I don't like how they gave, they took that deal from Buffett rather than just go to a bank. Uh, they might defend that, but uh, there's too many people I talk to in banking who find it too hard to defend. Let's go to Stephen in Tennessee. Stephen. Booyakasha from East Nashville. Hey, Jimmy, we're looking at Black Friday spending numbers, especially for e-commerce, Cyber Monday. All I'm right. looking at a company that says they already provide e-commerce solutions for a whole bunch of S&P 500 companies. $700 million recent sale of assets. Big short interest, insider buying, Jimbo, something straight. Is this just a budget? Stocking stuffer for my portfolio, or is this the Christmas present that sends my kids to Vanderbilt? What do you think of Pitney Bowes? Wow, you actually thought of it longer than I would have. Um, I think this is a stock that many people have tried to catch the bottom in. Uh, do I look like a butcher block to you? I mean, I did some cooking on Thursday, but I would never let those knives near me, and I wouldn't let the knives near, uh, I would fear PPI. A uh, couple things, the president tweeting again, Fed's got to move because of the stronger dollar, totally unhelpful. We got Coupa reporting it's right in the cloud group. It was a great quarter, it's getting hit. My negative theory is playing out here. All right, today's sell-off was prompted by too much complacency. 
I think we're in an early days of a much-needed checkout. On my money tonight, I'm eyeing two stealth stocks uh, that you may have missed. I'll tell you the names and why they're soaring. Then, what's the fear index signaling going into 2020? I'm going off the charts to find out. You're not going to like it. And the security software space is chock full of sexy new names that you can use to play the secular trend. I'm eyeing one old standby that I've liked for a long time. Don't miss my exclusive with CyberR. And stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Hey, I'm Kat Lasso. I'm Xavier Jernigan. And I'm Speedy Mormon. And together we're the hosts of Spotify's new morning show, The Get Up. Every day we're bringing you the biggest news stories and pop culture headlines. Ooh, and the conversations you need to be in on. Okay. Don't worry, if you're not a morning person, we're doing the work for you. So just search The Get Up, hit play, and listen up for everything you need to know. With a playlist made just for you. Listen now for free, only on Spotify. Some rallies are flashy, but others are quiet, happening in trips and drabs without any focus. I call them stealth moves. The two biggest stealth moves so far lately, J.P. Morgan and United Health Group. They've been rallying relentlessly since they bottomed September, leading two of the most important sectors in the market higher, the financials and the health cares. These two names are about as close as it gets these days to blue chip stocks. They're well-run companies with good balance sheets that are the most respected members of their industries. Now, in September, both stocks plummeted, with UNH taking out the $215 level. That occurred when CEO David Wickman unleashed a passionate broadside against the Democratic presidential candidates who want to establish a single-payer system and put his company out of business. In September, it looked like Elizabeth Warren was the new frontrunner, and it was at, at that time she was all about Medicare for all. That means no United Health. So the stock got hammered. As for J.P. Morgan, same story. Warren wants to break up the big banks, so the stock got hammered as her poly improved. But here's the thing. Money managers really don't have any specific insight about politics. That moment in September when the banks that managed care stocks got hammered, do you know that that was now looking like the apex of Warren's campaign? At least for now. I, and it was their nadir, and it was her apex. I have no idea who will be the nominee. But I do know that trading off sensationalist political headlines has sure been unlucky and mistakeful. Ever since that moment, J.P. Morgan and UNH have become the market's leaders. The two stocks that are in the Dow that have become irrepressible. Nothing seems to damage them, even when there's a reason it should. Although I do say that this sell-off will, in the end, I suspect, take these two stocks down, too. For example, with the Federal Reserve no longer cutting interest rates, do you think a stock like J.P. Morgan will be under pressure? They're supposed to be hurt by a flattening yield curve. The president's still bashing the Fed, trying to get them to cut rates, even tonight in a tweet counterproductive. As for United Health, this is the kind of stock people flock to when the economy's weak. If you think we've recovered enough that the Fed can afford to stop easing, then you typically want to sell something like UNH. Instead, it keeps climbing, although tonight it pre-announced better than expected earnings. And of course, this sell-off could get more ferocious, and it would include the stock of United Health. And some will say 
It didn't raise guidance enough. Not true, but when stocks go down, people make up reasons. So what, is this, what do these moves tell us, the positive moves before today? I think the action here has very little to do with the broader economy and a whole lot more to do with the Democratic horse race. You want to know why UNH has caught fire? It's because Warren started faltering in the polls. Then she backed away from the Medicare for all, saying she'd wait until her third year to implement it. In other words, it's uh, not a priority. It probably won't happen. The stock market would love to have a more centrist, business-friendly Democrat run against Trump next year. Then, regardless of who wins, it's business as usual. Wall Street was terrified of Warren. Still is. But as her numbers have faded, UNH and J.P. Morgan have were higher. Yet, when you look at what's been leading us higher, at least until today, these stocks aren't hostage to the Fed or the trade talks with China or the impeachment hearings. They're all about the polls in the Democratic Party and the primaries. Of course, the polls could change again, but I think the recent action is a lot more realistic because regardless of who takes the White House, the votes for something like Medicare for All or breaking up the banks simply won't be there in the Senate. You don't need to be a keen political mind to know that you just need to know how to count. Although, once again, when gripped with a self like the one I think we are having right now, it just doesn't matter how blue the chip is. Man, money's back in. Support for this podcast comes from Pluto TV. Need an escape? Drop into Pluto TV for a world of free TV. Stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows all for free. Yeah, free. No subscriptions, no fees. Imagine 24-7 channels of Narcos, CSI, Star Trek, Survivor, and everything else from hit movies to binge-worthy TV shows, the latest news, live sports, comedy, and more. What are you waiting for? Download the free Pluto TV app for Android, iPhone, Roku, or Fire TV and start watching now. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free. It's a rough day like today. We got word. How worried should we be? We've had a spectacular bull run. Everybody knows that over the past few months. So do we take this day in stride or is it some sort of garden variety profit taking? Or do we need to be more concerned? I'm always concerned about the latter. See, at moments like this, you know, what's good is I find it very helpful to take a step back and look at things through a more quantitative lens. And that's why tonight we've got to go off the chart special Monday edition with the help of the legendary Larry Williams. He's a technician who's been trading futures, commodities, and stocks since I was a kid. Williams is a nearly mythical figure on Wall Street. He's written almost a dozen books. He's got his own website, IReallyTrade.com. And he's created a slew of technical indicators, many of which are named after him that we use all the time here. Over the summer, when the market was getting slammed, we checked in with Williams, and he told us the negativity was peaking. He said it was time to go bullish. Wow, he nailed it, as the averages quickly made a remarkable comeback. Then we spoke with him again three weeks ago, and he expressed cautious optimism. He told us the averages had more room to run. But as we got closer to the end of the year, the move was likely to run out of steam. So then the question is, how close to the end of the year are we? Williams thinks right now is what's happening. Right now, the decline. He thinks the tide is turning and it's headed a little ahead of schedule. With investors increasingly turning bearish. And he predicts the bears will have the run of the place, get this, through mid-February. That said, he still thinks we could rebound from these levels. But you know what? He's recommending selling into any strength, even as he's still not backing away from the long-term bull market thesis. Look at this. Let's take a look at the action in the CBOE volatility index. That's the fear index, which is uh, it's a gauge that does a great job of reflecting the overall level of terror in the marketplace. When the VIX goes down, that means investors are feeling confident. When it goes up, that's usually a sign of fear. 
Today, for example, shot up nearly 17%. This is a remarkable move. And I know I've got some other people working on this, too, that we're going to talk about tomorrow, because I, I have to tell you, this was very disconcerting to me. And I've got to spend more time on it than usual. Williams likes the VIX because it captures the raw emotions of investors. It gives you a read on the animal spirits of the market. He also believes there's a cycle to volatility, which is why he tries to forecast that cycle based on the VIX's past behavior. And that's the red line in this chart, okay? His VIX forecast... Look at this spike. This may sound like he's making stuff up out of whole cloth, but there's a ton of rigor involved in the process. And the VIX forecast is one of the reasons Williams was able to call the bottom in August. Right now, based on the volatility cycle, he's anticipating a sustained upturn in the VIX, which tends to be very bad for the S&P 500. Based on his forecast, the volatility index should keep rising through February 11th, the day after my birthday, not that that's relevant. In other words, investors are starting to turn bearish right here, and Williams expects them to stay that way for the next couple of months. Well, that would be certainly different from what a lot of people are talking about. It's not just the VIX. I want you to take a look at this chart of the S&P 500, where Williams has done the same kind of analysis. Based on his cycle forecast, you'd expect the S&P to peak right about now. The strongest short-term cycle here has lasted for about 80 days, and it suggests the market will be under pressure through the beginning of March. So here we go. That's where we are. Daunting, isn't it? Look at that. Right here. While these cycles can be very useful for giving you hints about the overall direction of the market, Williams likes to confirm them by digging even deeper into the technicals. I told you this guy's good. For example, why don't you take a look at the short-term chart of the S&P 500 with the dollar index, which measures the strength of the dollar versus a basket of foreign currencies. According to Williams, the dollar index tends to be a good leading indicator of what will happen to stock prices. So he's pushed it forward in time Four weeks on this chart to illustrate that correlation. While a weak greenback is good for American exporters, near-term weakness in the dollar does seem to foreshadow weakness in the stock market. So here, the black stock market. Okay, he's remember he's for, he's pulling it forward to show you what's going to happen. And lately, the dollar index has sold off. Now the averages appear to be following suit. That may be one of the reasons that gold. The price of gold's been screaming higher on Friday. You know, I like gold, uh, and that's perhaps as a result of. Uh, Full list of, uh, of flight from stocks. Williams is long gold. He important. He told us that, that, so you know that's full disclosure. And you know, I always think it's good to have some exposure to the precious metal as an insurance policy against exactly the kind of thing he's predicting. Remember, we had Nico Eagle on a couple weeks ago, and how much I like that and Sean Boyd. Finally, there's the Commodity Futures Trading Commission's uh, Commitment of Traders report. And this is called the COT report. That's what it's short for. Uh, every week, the CFTC releases data on the net positions of small speculators, large speculators, and commercial hedgers. We care about the large speculators, institutional money. So take a look at this chart of the S&P futures with the commitment of traders data. You can see that they're taking a really negative turn here. Just in the most recent weeks, this is concrete proof that money managers are getting more cautious. If they're getting more cautious, you don't want to necessarily take the other side. I know a lot of people are saying, well, I want to take the other side. No, this is about selling. Okay, this is indicating selling pressure coming. Put it all together. and Williams thinks we are uh, about to get pretty ugly here. We could have one more bounce before the negativity fully takes over. But he thinks you should use any strength to ring the register. You know, I agree with him that we were due for a shakeout. I said that in the morning show. And since I expect the president to raise his tariffs on China in two weeks, it might take a little while for the pain to unfold. 
Here's the bottom line. The charts as interpreted by Larry Williams suggest that the market's animal spirits are turning from bullish to bearish, at least for the next few months. And he thinks you should try to sidestep the pain here. Remember, I'm going to another VIX expert tomorrow because this was so negative. I'm not influencing that person. I just got to know before I tell you I am concerned beyond where I am now. My view, we did get too complacent. Stocks did need to come down to more enticing levels. But I think that may happen faster than Williams expects and not as deep as he says even as he most certainly regards the upcoming decline, once again, as a correction in a long-term bull market, which he said to me twice because he did not want people to freak out because he doesn't think this is the end. I want to go to Dave in Illinois. Dave. Dr. Kramer, happy yes. holidays, my good mad friend. Uh, oh, Dolphins. well, thank you, Dave. Same to you and your family. Dolphins. Jim, within a few weeks. Why do you hurt most- me? I thought you were my most- friend. Jim, within a few weeks, the most profitable company on earth will be trading on the Saudi stock exchange. Of course, I'm talking about Saudi Aramco. Analysts anticipate it will raise more money on its IPO than current record holder Alibaba at $25 billion, set in 2014. Okay. Um, uh, the U.S. IPO market has been struggling of late with disappointments from Uber and Lyft Beyond Meat, Zoom Video, and most recently with WeWork. So, Jim, how do you see this historic impending IPO impacting the U.S. IPO market? Uh, you know, Dave, it's so weird. They're, they're raising so little money off the actual deal, even though there's a large size, that I think it's not going to have the impact we thought. Uh, I do know they want to diversify away from oil. I think they want a currency to do that. Uh, of course, we got to stay away from this only because we stay away from anything fossil fuel because they're not working. Thank you for calling me doctor. Let's go to Adam. Oh, we're talking about a state, the Nigerian state in Minnesota. Adam. Mr. Kramer. Yes. Oh, yeah. From Minnesota. It's a pleasure speaking with you. I was watching your show last week about the bulls, the bears, and with the stock market doing so well, not being a pig. I don't want to be a pig. I want to take some profits. My question is, what do you recommend I do with the profits? Do I put them back in the market or into the No, no. Look, you know, we have a club, ActionLearnsPlus.com club. We have raised about $350,000, which is a lot of money. And what are we doing with that money? Side line. Side line. Why? Because we, too, agree with Larry Williams that short-term things are going to be turbulent. It's just that I think short-term is shorter term than Larry does. But Larry is the king. And I had to tell you what he's thinking. Again, tomorrow, alternative. But maybe the guy agrees with him. That's how concerned I am. I don't want to panic anymore. Market indicators are signaling a degree of investor bearishness that could carry over into the next few months, according to Williams. My take? Hey, look, it's about time stocks came down to more attractive levels. But I'm not committing new capital yet unless I take more money out first, and that's for the trust. I can't trade stocks. Much more may have money at cybersecurity spending is expected to exceed $1 trillion over the next five years. As cyber attacks become more prevalent, can a company like CyberArk protect your data and your portfolio from the Russians, from the North Koreans, from the Chinese, all of them trying to disguise each other? I'm going to talk to the CEO. Then it's a company whose shares have more than doubled this year and effectively quintupled since the end of 2017. I'll reveal this under-the-radar name just ahead. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. 
Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. The passport's usually like his dog and his daughter. I know. Or one, two, three, four, five, yeah, one, six, two, three, seven. Four. Yeah, I mean, how pathetic. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. With tech selling off after a magnificent run, what do I do with the cybersecurity plays that have been putting up terrific numbers? Take Kramer Fave CyberArk. That's the Israeli company that protects so-called privileged accounts or administrator accounts that are often targeted by hackers because they hold the keys to the digital kingdom. This stock has been an incredible performance, up more than 60% for the year, although its recent track record is kind of turbulent. CyberArk stock peaked at nearly 150 in July, then plummeted to the mid-90s, its lows in October, before rebounding to 120th of today. Some of that's because Wall Street became more comfortable with these turbocharged growth tech stocks again. Some of it's because the company reported a fabulous quarter about a month ago. So can this thing keep climbing? Let's take a closer look with Udi Makati. He's the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of CyberArk. You get a better read on how his company's doing where it's headed. Mr. Makati, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, Udi. Have a seat. Thank you. Okay, so Udi, I get worried because the number of companies that have signed up with you, big Fortune 500 companies, in the last four months is so large that I have to feel something's happening that either your salespeople are doing great, which I'm sure they are, or somebody did something we don't know about, and uh, the word got out that yeah, they had to hire you. What is that? What the hell's going on? I think the word is out that privilege access is at the center point of digital transformation and also reducing risk. So we're an enabling technology for companies who want to go fast and enable uh, digital transformation, but also protect against what the hackers are going after. So okay, the word so, is out. So we're, let's say you got a business and you want to go, you want to digitize, you want to go to Amazon Web Services. Does that create a particular new hole in your situation? Yeah, it, cre- it increases the attack surface. Now it's an all-in. If somebody takes over that cloud infrastructure, they have everything. And so there's a nice line between what the cloud provider w- would do and what the, our customers would do and protect their own data, their access to that data. I was astonished to see the amount of federal business you're doing. I thought the federal government would have already figured this out. Uh, Q3 was a record for global government for us, but uh, definitely uh, here, uh, U.S. Uh, federal. Uh, they have a program, actually, to make it easier for agencies to adopt privilege access management with CyberArk, the CDM program. So they've been executing on that. Okay, now, um, energy. What, what are they worried about? Energy is one of the most vulnerable verticals out there. Why? Uh, in every survey, because it's so the attack surface is so wide. They have so many convoluted uh, systems, very old technologies. Some systems they're, they're afraid to even touch and upgrade. So for an attacker, it's really a, a walk in the park. Um, but Wait now they're investing. Energies. These are very rich companies. They have a lot of vulnerability. We don't want anyone in there. What, are they just underspent? They, they, they have a very complex uh, infrastructure, so they are spending, uh, but I think the, uh, the, the going belief was the attackers won't make it on the inside. That's, uh, that's changing these days. It's very clear that nation states, sophisticated attackers can make it on the inside. So they're also investing now, but they are behind. But they're naive. Not naive. Not naive. I think it's, oh. a, it's, a, it's an evolution. There were industries that were more targeted in the past. Now right. it's clear that energy is also a prime target. Okay, there's one that I'm very concerned about. Uh, involving HIPAA and pharmaceutical. Now, you guys are starting to... Uh, you, you have to explain to people what it is. But if they're in on the pharmaceuticals, they know about us. They know about things they should know. Yeah, there's a lot of information in the pharmaceutical because of all the experiments and trials. Right, that if you're doing. in a phase three, absolutely. which is secret, your name is known. Yeah. They have your name. Yeah, absolutely. And we see these verticals investing and understanding the, and the information that they hold is super sensitive. But, okay, so let's look at the case of someone who's been hit. It would be in their interest not to tell, but we know from when Target didn't tell immediately that the reputational damage is very high. 
Yeah, we see the global 2000s have uh, response uh, platforms in which they, they know that they have to disclose. Sometimes it's regulatory reasons they have to disclose. Right. And also a crisis management, a proper crisis management approach says disclose. Uh, right. Get your house under order and, and invite companies like Cyborg to help, but, uh, but disclose. So I think they would have. Disgruntled employees, people looking for ransom, or nation state? All of the above. <laughs> All of the above, and I think the, the, the weapons of nation states have also made their way into the hands of criminal organizations and even the amateur. Uh, type uh, type hackers. So all of the above, it's getting harder these days to even know who is the attacker because they're using what's called false flags, where you think it's one country but it's another country and it could be even a criminal organization. But we focus on what you can do is proactively protect the infrastructure. Once they're in, can you find it? Yeah, yeah. That's what uh, companies like us, uh, we help. We partner with other security uh, technologies so that the organization has time to respond and, right. and, and basically contain the attack. When you first came on, smaller company, uh, had a base of uh, people, ex-military in Israel, uh, trustworthy. Uh, many of them you knew. You're now a huge company. Uh, how do you keep a guy f- who's playing the long game? He works for you for five years. He knows all the tricks of the trade, and then he goes after. We, we, we follow our own best practices and how we, we track, we, we, we check our people. In so if I work at your checks. company for five years and I leave, I'm still being followed by Oh, cyber. no, 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 no. I, I meant background checks when you're, coming, okay. uh, when you're coming on board. But, of course, we protect our own uh, secrecy and, uh, and, and limit what people can access. Okay, so do you tell people that you've got to make your password much more difficult? It's much more than that. I mean, yes. what we do is actually the password never reaches an end user. They're rotated. We give people access to what they need to do, but the password is never exposed so that the attacker can't latch on them. Okay, now let's talk about com- competition. Today, there's a downgrade of CrowdStrike. People talking about how it's too crowded. Uh, Fortinet's been good, but Palo Alto struggled last week, was down 30 points, even though I think they're trying to move from, you know, a digital to a digital world. Uh, we got Zscaler. Uh, they all have landed and expanded. They all want to come in on one thing and then take over Cisco. So uh, how do you, as a smaller company, uh, keep them at bay? So, so first of all, we really grew. We now have 5,000 uh, customers. You're huge. Out of Israel, we're the second largest public information security company. Right. And in our space, we're the only public company in the privilege access management space. So we have long-term ambitions as well. We, we dominate and, and work hard to, to be the market leader in our space, but also partner and look at adjacencies. Okay, I was with a company out in uh, San Francisco last week. Uh, they had an office in Israel and they had an office in America. They thought Israel was too hard to communicate with. So they closed Israel. Now, you're based also in Newton, Massachusetts. Is it a problem to have two headquarters, basically? No, we, I think it's a, it's a matter of evolution. I think from day one, we wanted to be a true global company where we know how to work with the R&D in Israel, know how to work with the R&D in the U.S., and the offices around the world. It's working perfectly. All right, well, nice question. Uh, my daughter had $1,000 pulled out of her account, a major bank. And then a second thousand. She let them know. Uh, they're negotiating now. Back. We're starting to see big hacks. Huge amount of money. But we don't read about them. Why don't we read about them? It's, uh, it's, it's really out there. Uh, the thousand the dollars really are, 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 are the small ones. Um, but, not, to, uh, <laughs> not to someone who's but, 22. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think they, they try to resolve those quickly before they're publicized. Wow. This is... All right. Well, that's Udi Makati, chairman and CEO of CyberArk Software. If you're not worried about it, do you know, I check my balance every day. You should be checking your balance every day. This is too prevalent. And it's, you have to take care of yourself, too. They can't do everything. They have money's back after the break. It is time. It's over the 
And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? Daddy, time for the lightning round. Doug, in Nebraska. Doug. Hey, Kramer, a big old clunt. How's Kurt for you, Mr. Kramer? We don't get enough corn huskers. I'm glad you called. How can I help? Well, hey, I need some information on stock uh, symbol BIIB, Biochip. Yeah, well, there's an Alzheimer's conference later this week. There was an analyst on our network this afternoon who said that uh, that Biogen's drug is going to be a bust. And that makes it so that I am concerned because there's no reason to stick your neck out like that unless you kind of know something. Or otherwise, you got egg all over his face. Dave in New York. Dave! Thanks for taking my call, Jim. What do you think of Amgen? It's up about 20% for the year. What do you see in the future? Okay, Amgen did something. And I made, you know, my chapel trust made a lot of money with Amgen, but not enough. And that was because we did not think that the market was reacting correctly to the fact that they got Tesla so cheaply. Now, here's the problem. Uh, It's now moved up uh, as much as you said. I think if you want to buy Amgen, you're going to chance to be able to buy it at 210. And I would take it because it's a much better company than it was even six months ago. Let's go to Austin in Florida. Austin. Happy holidays. Booyah. Oh, that was sweet. Right back. Jim, you got me started in Caterpillar. C-A-T. I've got a good amount of it. What do we do with it? Okay. I think you want to sell some, trade around it if you are a trader, and then buy it back later. Now, why do I say that? Because I don't think Caterpillar's going to have a good quarter, and I am worried about more trade tariffs. So let's do that if you want to be able to make a little money because it's up a lot, and buy it back. Let's go to Randy in Ohio. Randy. Hey, Jim. A biomed hired two research firms to test their impella after an FDA report said they were, you know, not as effective. Turns out they're 22 to 29% more effective and safer than the aortic, aortic balloons. They use them on older, older sicker patients, Jim, and, and half of them would die if they didn't use these. So what's your, what's your expert opinion, Jim, on biomed? You know Jim, what? I biomed? saw that, I, and it was very disconcerting that the, the first report, I agree, agree with your report. I think the stock's been de-risked. I would actually be a buyer of the stock. Let's go to Phil in my home state of New Jersey, please. Phil! Here Jim. Question for you about Northrop Grumman. Trying to understand why the stock keeps going backwards and hasn't had a chance to go up. Is it worth buying or should I sell it? I'm no, no, it. don't sell it. I think Northrop Grumman is cheap. The whole defense sector sold off horribly today without any sort of real analysis. Um, I, I have to tell you, I, I do like Lockheed Martin more. But uh, Northrop Grumman, is, is, I know the stock seems like it's rolling over. It's a real good place to start buying it within the next couple of days. Let's go to Jay in New York. Jay! Kramer, yeah. I'd like your opinion on Tegna, media company Tegna, symbol TGNA. We have too many digital media marketing companies that I can't endorse, particularly because I don't like the tape right now. You'll get a chance to buy it later. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TG Ameritrade. It is time! It's time for the lightning round! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round! Doug in Nebraska. Doug! Hey, Kramer, a big old clunt. How's Kurt for you, Mr. Kramer? We don't get enough corn huskers. I'm glad you called. How can I help? Well, hey, I need some information on that. 
duck symbol, B-I-I-B, biochip. Yeah, well, there's an Alzheimer's conference later this week. There was an analyst on our network this afternoon who said that, uh, that Biogen's drug is going to be a bust. And that makes it so that I am concerned because there's no reason to stick your neck out like that unless you kind of know something. Or otherwise, you got egg all over his face. Dave in New York. Dave! Thanks for taking my call, Jim. What do you think of Amgen? It's up about 20% for the year. What do you see in the future? Okay, Amgen did something. And I made, you know, my chapel trust made a lot of money with Amgen, but not enough. And that was because we did not think that the market was reacting correctly to the fact that they got owed Tesla so cheaply. Now, here's the problem. Uh, it's now moved up uh, as much as you said. I think if you want to buy Amgen, you've got a chance to be able to buy it at 210 and I would take it because it's a much better company than it was even six months ago. Let's go to Austin in Florida. Austin. Happy holidays. Boo, 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 yeah. Oh, that was sweet. Right back. Jim, you got me started in Caterpillar. C-A-T. I've got a good amount of it. What do we do with it? Okay. I think you want to sell some, trade around it if you are a trader, and then buy it back later. Now, why do I say that? Because I don't think Caterpillar's going to have a good quarter, and I am worried about more trade tariffs. So let's do that if you want to be able to make a little money because it's up a lot and buy it back. Let's go to Randy in Ohio. Randy. Hey, Jim. A biomed hired two research firms to test their impella after an FDA report said they were you know, not as effective. Turns out they're 22 to 29% more effective and safer than the aortic, aortic balloons. They use them on older, older, sicker patients, Jim, and, and half of them would die if they didn't use these. So what's your, what's your expert opinion, Jim, You know Jim, what? On I biomed? saw that, I, and it was very disconcerting that the, the first report, I agree, agree with your report. I think the stock's been de-risked. I would actually be a buyer of the stock. Let's go to Phil in my home state of New Jersey, please. Phil! Booyah, Jim. Question for you about Northrop Grumman. Try to understand why the stock keeps going backwards and hasn't had a chance to go up. Is it worth buying or should I sell it? I'm no, to no, it. don't sell it. I think Northrop Grumman is cheap. The whole defense sector sold off horribly today without any sort of real analysis. Um, I, I have to tell you, I, I do like Lockheed Martin more. But uh, Northrop Grumman, is, is, I know the stock seems like it's rolling over. It's a real good place to start buying it within the next couple of days. Let's go to Jay in New York. Jay! Kramer, yeah. I'd like your opinion on Tegna, media company Tegna, symbol TGNA. We have too many digital media marketing companies that I can't endorse, particularly because I don't like the tape right now. You'll get a chance to buy it later. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TG Ameritrade. Right now, we're reaching the tail end of the annual Obamacare open enrollment period, where anyone who doesn't have insurance can research and buy their plans for the next year. The problem is picking a plan is a huge pain in the neck. There are so many different options with so many moving parts that I've got to tell you, it's almost impossible to make an apples-to-apples comparison. And believe me, I have tried. Just navigating these changes can be incredibly frustrating. In fact, it's so complicated that we now have a booming cottage industry of companies that exist to make the process easier. Take eHealth. It's a health insurance marketplace with its own digital platform, eHealth.com, that helps consumers choose the right plan. And like I said, business is booming as more and more people decide to buy their health insurance online. Yes, more than doubled. The stock is more than doubled year to date. And the stock's effectively quintupled since the end of 2017. I just wish I'd highlighted it sooner. So let's take a closer look with Scott Flanders, the CEO of eHealth, to learn more about his company and his company's prospects. Mr. Flanders, welcome to Mad Money. 
Good to see you, sir. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right, first, it's your first time on, so perhaps you should just fill our viewers in on the function of eHealth and how you're doing. Right. I mean, we're here to make buying health insurance easy, and we started over 20 years ago. The company went public in 2006, and we've moved it recently into Medicare and are helping right. seniors, millions of them. And the stock has taken off since you started doing that. Yeah, it, we've really been rewarded, but we're in a good market, I, right. I must admit. I mean, it's, it's hard not to succeed when you have 60 million seniors who need help getting in Medicare. Okay, and candor, I called you guys. I got a guy named Dave, because I'm in the market, sadly. Uh, and my, he was really unbelievably good, because it's also unbelievably hard. Because you know what the first thing I did was? I went to the eGov one, the <laughs> government one. I mean, the one that's supposed to help us. I can't believe it was a joke. Well, it's not really set up to be an e-commerce experience. So, you know, and that, you know, e, you know, e-health exists to t- make it as easy as ordering an airline ticket, right. and the government tries to make things as hard as they can. Well, I think the example of your being kind of the Expedia or the Zillow of healthcare really works in terms of people at home trying to figure out what you do. Absolutely. I mean, and we're not yet there because Medicare is such a more consequential purchase, right. of course. It's, it's complicated. You know, a lot of seniors have never even bought health insurance. Right. They've been in group insurance most of their life. And so we're there to really help them. And from a stock standpoint, we'd like to think of it as being like in Expedia 15 years ago. Right now, people should know that it's the insurers who pay. So if you try to get it through eHealth, it's not like eHealth uh, bangs you for it. The insurers have to pay for it, your, your leads. You're absolutely right. That's probably the single bi- biggest misperception right. is that people think they pay, but actually the health insurance company pays. Uh, year to date, 83% of the Medicare enrollees at eHealth have a zero monthly premium plan. Yeah, that's pretty great. Now, I was impressed that you had so many well-spoken salespeople, but I also think in this time where employment's so low, it's got to be a problem for you to find great people. Yeah, well, our average agent makes over $75,000 a year. But, you know, we train them. They get licensed by every state. They have to be appointed by every carrier. So these are really career uh, consulting jobs. Okay. Now, uh, about six months ago, we started getting Democrat candidates talking about Medicare for all. From your vantage point, would anyone want that if they worked at a company? No. I mean, the reason I think it's dead on arrival, Jim, is because 150 million Americans have employer-sponsored health insurance, and they're not going to vote to lose that. Then you have another 60 million seniors in Medicare who are very happy with the system. They paid into it all their lives. They're not going to vote to have that taken away. Yeah, I mean, I was shocked because I'm on the tail end of COBRA, so I have to figure out what to do. And it's obviously Medicare is great. And then I started thinking, they took away Medicare. Like, I just pay for Medicare. And that's why I think that the people who went for that have peaked in the polls. Absolutely. Do you, do you get the sense? I mean, you're, no one has got more of their uh, finger to the pulse than you. It's a loser. Yeah. I mean, we talk to millions of consumers, right. tens of thousands every day, and they are not going to vote for this. Now, uh, I do want to know your on cash flow. Uh, you, you ramped up. Uh, So you had negative cash flow. Is that something I should be worried about, or is that just because you had a ramp up? Look, it takes us about two years to break even on a Medicare enrollee. Okay. So we spend about $600 to acquire a customer, and then we earn Well, that's a lot, isn't it? It's a lot, but we earn over $1,000 per customer. Oh, okay. So that's the LTV and tail revenue that you guys talk about in your very transparent transparent, uh, uh, documents. Now, uh, uh, Medicare Advantage. I mean, I see ads for us every day on TV, uh, and I have no idea. They sound also compelling. How do I compare Medical Advantage? 
Well, so Medicare Advantage is the right plan for most Americans. And, and you're seeing some of our ads. You're seeing some mm-hmm. of the health insurance company ads. What differentiates our model is we enable you to compare Humana against Aetna against United, whereas if you just call one of the health insurance companies, they'll only be able to sell you their plan. Wait, okay, so I'm going to play devil's advocate. I watched the Humana ad earlier today. They said it was the best. Humana's a great plan. <laughs> And it's, and, and it's right for many millions okay, so of Americans. Okay, so it matters what you want. It, it okay. matters who is your primary care physician, what are your medications, what specialists do you see. It's endlessly complicated. This is a statistic you won't believe. Only one out of ten Americans are in the exact right Medicare plan. Well, that's, that's preposterous. How could the government allow that? Well, it's very complicated. A lot of the problem is making sure that when you're talking to the senior on the phone that you extract all that information from them. So which doctors do they see? Which specialists do they see? Which pharmacy do they go to? What hospital provider do they want to go to? What medications are they on? All right. Now, um, I had the misfortune, my uh, daughter who's since moved, was in a very bad zip code in Oregon. And no one wrote insurance for her. Had I called you, would I have any luck? Well, if there's no policies, there's, there's not no much policies. we can do. And it is done on a county-by-county county basis. It is. So she was in a county that, uh, unfortunately, had a lot of Native Americans who had pre-existing. Yes. So no one would write. What do you say to people who can't get insurance because of what county they're in? So what I would say is the Affordable Air Care Act was good for tens of millions of people. Yeah. And it also raised the cost for millions of people who are, make too much money to qualify for a subsidy. And then there are counties where they're just completely without insurance. And, but it is better. The story is better over right. the last two years. And uh, far more insurers are in the market this year than there were last year for ACA. Okay, well, I don't compliment you for not being political. You just told it straight. And that's what we need. Okay. And you're very helpful. And uh, when I call, I mean, it could have been a bad experience. I just tried a guy on Sunday. He was terrific. I want to thank you very much. Okay, that's Scott Flanders, CEO of eHealth, E-H-T-H. I've got to tell you, if you want to know why the stock's going up, just try to get this stuff without looking at these things. Thank you so much. Thank Appreciate you, it. Stay with Kramer. A couple of chowder heads on Twitter have been saying, hey, listen, you're permit bull. Hardly. I am concerned about this market. As a matter of fact, my Chapel Trust has raised a huge amount of money. You know that if you belong to the club. And I sense that we are going to get better opportunities to buy stocks lower. Watch Coupa. That's a good example. Reported great quarter. Stocks get hit anyway. If it's reported great quarter, it goes hit anyway. What happens if you get a bad quarter? Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Cameron. I will see you tomorrow. 1980s New York. Five titans redefined the American dream. Helmsley, Bosky, Gotti, Trump, Giuliani. Greed was good, and they wanted it all. Empires of New York, narrated by Paul Giamatti. Series premiere November 29th at 8 Eastern, only on CNBC-TV.